All right, guys, welcome back to episode two of the Football Finance Podcast, this deep dive into multi-club ownership. And as promised, episode two is on Manchester City and how this model differs to the other one that is Red Bull. And of course, that'll be episode three. But I'm joined by Football Daily's Henry Hill, who's a bit of a financial investigative journalist into the world of football. How are you, Henry? Uh, thank you, Jerry. I wouldn't go that far. Although they do joke at work that I'm the one who enjoys writing the financial videos the most i mean it's it's true though like beyond what happens on the pitch beyond talking about key passes goals whatever actually some of the most fun you can have with football is reading about how these companies work because the interesting thing about football clubs is they operate in this weird uh sort of although these are big brands that we're talking about the people like manchester united and stuff like that like in the world of big business they're not that big if that makes sense they're actually very sort of unstable um if you just look at sort of clubs across Europe right now, sort of losing billions of pounds. They're not actually, the valuations of these companies isn't huge. You know, people might look at Manchester United and go, oh, why don't they produce their own kits? And why do they have to go through like manufacturers and stuff like that? At the end of the day, like Adidas, Puma, these other guys they deal with are much, much bigger kind of companies and organizations than the clubs themselves who are, you know, like a, a billion pound valuation. You see that, you see that in uh, Silicon Valley all the time, companies popping up and gaining that fairly rapidly. And yeah, a lot of these Manchester United, something you consider to be a giant brand, isn't really this sort of bam off of a business in the grand scheme of things. However, we see it otherwise. Um, but yeah, that's why I find it so fascinating to look at like the numbers and the sort of the way these uh, clubs run. And there's nothing more interesting than perhaps the City Football Group in many ways. Yeah, there's lots of lots of stuff going on in the world of finance and football the last couple of years. In fact, the, the best one I think has been in France. But that's a whole different topic of what's going on over there. But we'll just get stuck into the City Football Group and it'll be something a lot of people are familiar with. But I think some people are going to be surprised with how invested this, this group is across the globe. Um, so give you guys a little bit of a background as to what this group is about. Um, they are a British holding-based company and they work with as administrators in a lot of associated football clubs and 78% of it is owned by the Abu Dhabi United Group, of course, of the big interests in Manchester City. Now, this is this is quite ironic when I read this, but um, the current CEO of Manchester City, a man called Ferran Soriano, was on the board of Barcelona back in 2008 when they had the current president, Juan Laporta, was, uh, was the president back then. And he proposed to Barcelona this idea of multi-club ownership back in 2008 and how I think they would like to turn back time 13 years ago. Yeah. And go with this idea because uh, Juan Laporta completely threw the thing out the window, said, Nope, don't want anything to do with it. And of course, Ferran Soriano made the transition eventually to Manchester City and brought this idea, which seemed a really good idea at building the brand. And that is basically what the whole idea of it came about is make Manchester City the flagship for this new group. And then we will go expand into different countries. So, for example, they've got NYCFC in Melbourne City, probably the most famous of the two. Uh, besides from Man City in the group. They also have stakes in India with Mumbai, Japan with Yokohama Miners, Spain with Girona, which is a very interesting one, which we've got saved up for later. Mm -hmm. And also stakes with uh, in France and in China. But they're also looking for further expansion. So this this isn't over. They are definitely going to get some more clubs into this footballing empire. Um, yeah. But once we've, since we've mentioned some of these clubs, we'll, we'll go on to you, Henry, as to how these clubs all link together and how the structure of it works. Well, there's sort of uh, different ways in which they sort of link together. I mean, if um, on one hand, it's about building this brand affiliation, as you said, so they, they, they go in City. It's interesting you raise that Barcelona point. Like Barcelona are a very established brand in their own rights with sort of a very deep 
uh, certainly a history at the top end of European football. And you can see Laporte is sort of thinking, why would I need to do that when we've got such an incredible product in itself? Anyway, one of the ways that Manchester City have looked at their sort of gaining affiliation and sort of accessing new markets is by sort of uh, spreading the the city franchise wherever they go. So as you, as you mentioned, some of these uh, teams they've taken on, Melbourne Heart, for example, an Australian club, Atletico Torque in Uruguay, they've both rebranded to feature City in their names. And if you look at a lot of these logos as well, you see them all kind of adopt this, the Circle Crescent, which we are so familiar with. As you say, Girona is an interesting one, and Trois as well in France. They haven't had to have the same kind of relations, but they are uh, they are more sort of established in their own rights. Uh, and yes, yeah, so that's that part of the way that the these clubs sort of get moulded into the city fold is to try and create that idea that you would go, if you support Melbourne City, well, hang on a second, I'm a Manchester City fan as well. So that's their idea of kind of inflating uh, the brand, the city group. But then there's also the, like the financial side to it as well. Is uh, if you anyone looking to do business with the city group now, it, it, a lot of the, the sponsorship deals can be related across all of the clubs and stuff like that. You know, 2019 Puma announced that 10 year kit deal with CFG worth, worth about $860 million. And though that's obviously Man City is the flagship product, it does cover the other teams as well. So adds an element of pristine to them. And yeah, it's like you said, it's only going to get bigger. It did look like China was going to be their next big market. They had a big investment from China. Uh, got sort of the, the Rupert Murdoch, they call him, of sort of uh, Chinese media on the board at uh, City there. But obviously, Chinese football has had a bit of a tough time <laughs> late. So I'll be I'll be surprised to see if that uh, module expands. But yeah, it's I think it has changed. I think it has changed uh, in intentions. I think Ferran Soriano has admitted as as much as well. Like the, uh, what City Football Group is moving towards doing has changed. And then there's, there's a whole other thing like youth development and how they move players around and stuff like that. But yeah, in principle, it was about building this big brand and creating this affiliation worldwide, which I think they've very effectively done uh, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, the big thing has been, I think, for the rebrand, as you said, was the kitchen and the badges. Like, it's very, very clear they want this sort of city idea and identity throughout uh, the rest of Europe and especially into the world, these sort of new differing markets. But I suppose the big question a lot of people have is, is what, exactly does this benefit other clubs and is it designed just specifically for Manchester City and in the case of Manchester City I think it's just it benefits them the most because they are the flagship club that is obvious mm -hmm. but is its sole purpose completely and not only to just benefit them and, and I sort of think it is because when I look back at some of the ways that they've used the City group to build these different connections throughout Europe and the world they've they have abused some of the systems and we all know a financial fair play but there's a there's a way I've seen that they've done it, and it's it's very very sneaky, and it's com it's a complete <laughs> loophole. Many, one of them, many. Um, but is it for the example that I mentioned earlier with Girona? And back in 2016, they acquired a 43.3% stake in Girona, and the other 43.3% stake went to Per Guardiola, Pep Guardiola's brother. So already yes. you can sort of see there's a little bit of something not right there about that. But anyway, FIFA's transfer regulations say that they can't switch players so uh, under the age of 18 so players under the age of 18 can't transfer um, between clubs it's not allowed um, but there are exemptions and one of the exemptions was back um, when the UK was part of the EU they were part of this exemption group that they can switch players around when they were under the age of 18 so for example um, when Fabregas went to Arsenal and Serge Gnabry when they were still academy players this was allowed when Britain pulled the trigger of course on Brexit one of the many fallout things of Brexit was that this sort of um, rule was going to go away. So the UK was going to have to go back to the 
the normal FIFA regulations of transfers, so players only over the age of 18. Um, however, that exact same year of Brexit, that is when the negotiations started with Girona over a potential ownership stake, which seems very coincidental when, when we look back on it. But um, when this happened, uh, of course, when they took them over, Girona, of course, are part of the European Union. So they can acquire these players that are under the age of 18, these bright stars of, of, of football. They're allowed to take them. And then, of course, you can then ship them on to Manchester City once they're done. So when the club first got bought over in 2016, in 2017, they got uh, Douglas Louise after he signed for Manchester City for 10 million euros. They got Alex Garcia, Pablo Maffeo, Marlos Moreno. And then throughout the years, they've got the likes of Patrick Roberts, um, They've got uh, Pablo Moreno, who's just gone back to the club, uh, Manchester City, after a loan spell. And of course, you mentioned earlier about Montevideo, Montevideo City. They've just sent Joaquin Zabelos to Montevideo City on a season-long loan deal. So you can already see how all this is interconnected, but you can sort of understand why some people would look at this and go, it's completely and utterly for the benefit of Manchester City. It's not there to help these sorts of clubs because the likes of Girona when they went back down to the second division, they were almost the sort of clubs that couldn't say no to these proposals. Whereas you would maybe look at someone like a Rennes in France, you know, if you went to a club like that, they would maybe say no because they know what they are. They're happy with who they are and they're in a position where they can say no. Oh, they, I mean, they could sell. I agree. I agree with you, but as, as, as we touched on earlier, football is a very fragile business entity. And uh, I can't speak too much on the Girona one, but if you look at Trois, for example, the, the sort of money that's been lost in French football, Trois have been probably enjoyed to an extent uh, a bit of a rejuvenation, certainly since City Football Group came in. They're now back in Liga. Uh, then there is an element that a lot of these these teams do, they, obviously the sponsorship deals aren't are principally designed for Manchester City, but they do sort of skim off the top of it a little bit. And they do get, I mean, you, you picked up on Sunday of Girona, sort of incredible amount of talent that has sort of gone around, like Jan Kuto, he was their right back last season. He's now just been loaned out to Braga, and you, so you can already see the slow step up there for him. So yeah, I I, I, I agree that it's not necessary for the benefit of them, and I, I think they're certainly almost stunted by being part of the City football group to a point. But I, it does provide them with a certain level of security uh, to be under that umbrella, especially when either putting lofty valuations of £4.8 billion on, on, on the company, whatever it is these days, approaching the £5 billion mark. So, yeah, but I mean, and also it's, if you look at City trying to, a, a big key part of this is the competitive nature of trying to sign young players. And that, I mean, it is a bit shady, it is, as you said, um, that, but that's where the main competition is. And City have this structure which they can present to these young players which they're approaching and say, well, look, you come within us there are sort of avenues that you can take and avenue groups that you can progress through and um so yeah, like you said heading out to Girona going up to Trois and then sort of bouncing around there's been a bit of a funny example I think in, I can't remember his name but they signed an Australian football player at a time when um oh when... I know who this is it's not Arzani it's um they originally signed him for like three hundred thousand dollars and then they yes. lost the Melbourne City to, uh, because clubs in Australia can't exchange cash for transfers, yes. so every club exactly in Australia right. is like, this is ridiculous, where actually it's, it's completely legal, <laughs> which, yeah, well, which they, they close that loophole very, very quickly. But um, yeah, you, uh, but you, just to finish, just to finish my point, I don't think, I obviously believe that you're, you're right, it is principally aimed and I'm not quite sure what the other sides necessarily get out of it, but I think there are massive perks to being part of this big, uh, from a business entity, uh, anyway, it's just, Difficulty is you don't want to see things like Manchester City, Australia, Manchester City, China, and stuff like that. You need to have like an independence 
for these clubs. And that's where maybe it can get a little bit dangerous is that you, uh, you don't want... The beauty of football is you support your hometown team. You don't support a franchise that has rolled into town and sort of imprinted itself upon you. So that's that's one of the big kind of things that makes me nervous, certainly, about it. But yeah, I think the way that the youth development aspect to it is very fascinating. Yeah, as well, like when I say about the ones about franchise football, like I, I do think it is sort of it, it is happening. Like, like, like let's be honest, it's it, it is coming into time. But I sort of feel like going if Manchester City were so keen in this sort of youth development, you know, why not get an affiliation with someone like Ren? In France, who are very, very good at producing young players, you know, why not invest in all these sort of young coaches and really try and build up a, a sort of wider youth setup, kind of like what City, or not City, kind of like what Chelsea do, which is just, you know, bringing the young players, loan them out. Okay, a lot of them are used for transfer, you know, profit, but at the same time, you do get the odd one um, who comes through, like Reese James, Mason Bime. Okay, it was a bit of exceptional circumstances, but they, they do sort of come through. I still get the feeling the whole thing's geared towards Man City and these sort of clubs they do target are like, for example, Troyes with the mess that French football is at the minute. They go to these clubs that just can't say no um, and they just, you know, they have to take the money and, um, you know, it's basically, you get you get quite a lot of money, you get access to all these different revenue streams, you get access to all these potential new business deals and all these sort of different connections in the city group. You just kind of have to give us your soul and, you know, your competitive nature will go away because the like of Girona, if the City Football Group really wanted to, they could put Girona in, into La Liga. If they really wanted to, increase the investment, bring in a lot of these different young players, develop them, and then potentially move them on to Manchester City. Or City could give them a lot of these players from their you know, youth academy, the really top-rated young youth players, but they don't seem to do it. Um, you know, For example, like Eric Garcia, if they really wanted to develop him on, could they not have shipped him to Girona? They didn't. They kept him. So it kind of tells me City give them the guys who they think might end up at a lower league, Premier League club, championship club, sort of standard type of player, um, and not somebody who they think will eventually break on into the first team. But um, that is why we're moving on to the next bit, which is actually surrounding financial fair play. And of course, this is sort of something that Man City have been in the news for a lot the last couple of years. Of course, they were, they were banned from Europe. Uh, they've constantly been investigated for inflating financial fair play deals. And yeah. you know, the big, you know, the big one that originally first came around was the ten million or the ten-year four hundred million deal with that had Airways, and of course, Sheikh Mansour, very close re relative, um, in Sheikh Hamid bin Zayed Al Nan, who of course owns uh, Etihad Airways. UEFA looked into it and eventually said, okay, we'll approve the deal, but we'll fine you fifty million pounds. <laughs> that kind of says to me that there's a little bit of a problem going on there. So very early on, we could see what say we're doing here, but. As they sort of expanded and got these more clubs, you know, for example, the Oklahoma Miners, um, they got that club and the 20% stake because they then got the Nissan sponsorship deal that came with it, which they then inflated to help say that they were passing financial fair play regulations. You know, you look at the other stuff, loaning uh, David Villa to Melbourne City to, um, to get a match fit for NYCFC. Then with the same club, um, they signed Lampard to New York City FC, then loaned them to Manchester City, and then they said, oh, that was just a mistake. We didn't mean that. So you can see how there's a lot of people that think the City skirt financial fair play with, with the City Football Group that opens up all these different types of sponsorship deals because once it becomes someone's personal wealth and then they can say, oh, I actually give an extra 50 million and then we meet the financial fair play more. You can see why a lot of people think that this is just around the help Man City produce all these top quality deals of 50 million pounds here, 50 million there, every sort of year, can you, Henry? Yeah, I mean, you've you've pretty much summarised it, really. <laughs> when I was thinking about this beforehand, I know we, we 
recently looking at the sort of PSG and their similar um, situation with the Qatar Tourism Authority, for example, you know, that was in 2018, UEFA investigators, uh, that the nine figure sponsorship deal that came there, uh, UEFA's uh, valuation came in at five million pounds, PSG's came in at 100 million euros. Uh, sorry, so, and then they decided, like you said, to agree with PSG's assumption of it. And then suddenly, look, they've got all this incredible sponsorship deals. Say so you, you, you've hit the nail on the head, really. Uh, I, I, Etihad, uh, visit Abu Dhabi, uh, Etihad Airways. These are all kind of partnerships which which come with City and access, basically, sort of um, relations of their own and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it is a way of you know they if you look at like the valuation they've given themselves is a way of justifying financial fair play will come and look at them they go well hold on a second we're worth this much because of the, as a holdings company where we're this successful you can't criticize like the levels of investment because like i said it's these a lot of like well a lot of the sponsorship deals are sort of on paper spread around the world like lots of other clubs benefit from it etc and stuff like that uh with it under their umbrella but in reality like you said it is just overly inflating the central budget which is for manchester city so yeah i i mean listen I, i'm going to definitively sit here is that <laughs> cool foul play on what manchester city are doing but you're right if you if you look at sort of dot draw some of the dots together it is it's clear to see that there is an element of just inflating their own net worth um uh, in order to sort of, uh, as a way of benefiting themselves through through their sponsorship deal. So yeah, I mean it's it, it is fascinating to look at all the different companies that sponsor Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, because they're not exactly traditional companies. They're sort of companies that sort of pop up all of a sudden. You're like, I didn't know that you all of a sudden had a relationship with Man City, and then it turns out someone's cousin happens to own that airline company or whatever, and you're like, oh okay, now I see where it's coming from. But it was sort of prevalent this summer with Harry Kane because you were like. There was, was it 225 million if Spurs had accepted the second or third bid? And you're going, where are Manchester City getting this money from? Because they're not selling anyone. Like, um, they're not giving anyone's part of the deal. It all felt a bit strange. And when that, like, um, I think one of the best people on it is Simon Jordan on Talksport. He explains it really, really well as to how all this stuff works and balance sheets and stuff. And I, I felt like Manchester City's wage budget must be humongous. Like, how on earth are they getting away with this? And, when you sort of look into all these different clubs and you're like, oh, that person, he happens to sit on that board, happens to have a, an ownership stake in Nissan and, and clubs like that. And then you're like, okay, now I work out how this all sort of comes together. But that's where we're moving on to the last part, which is, we mentioned it at the start about football being sort of a business now and it is moving towards more of, you know, these guys who come in, and we've seen it with the Super League, like these guys don't view football clubs as football clubs. They see these guys as small businesses that are there to simply make them money. And they can do that in multiple different ways. You know, it sound like deals like with Adidas, um, the, the deal that Liverpool got with Nike. It's all these sort of different ways. And then they can communicate with these different companies as well through, through these football clubs. So one of the ways I sort of look at all this stuff is it's a way for the world to connect through a different way through sports. So for example, Eddie had Airways and Nissan, when are these two guys ever going to talk about anything sort of um, sporting related? Oh, now all of a sudden they're with the City Group. This sort of all opens it up for new business opportunities and ventures for the guys who um, who Manchester City in Japan and India, all these sort of newly developing countries. I kind of just get the feeling a little bit that these guys are using the City Group largely to get new business opportunities for themselves. I mean, would you would you agree with that to an extent, Henry? Um, <laughs> Yes and no. I think it's what I will say about Manchester City, is, and I think this is important when you consider multi club ownership. Is there's a lot more 
ownership and control going on which isn't declared i think that's an important thing to say like this isn't a novel concept which only a few like the pozzo family red bull whatever this there's a lot more underhand kind of control being exacted um within within uefa and uh, there's some crazy stat where it's like every other club is sort of involved with another club in a certain way i'll, I'll get that verified whatever but it's it's at least city have sort of gone about it in sort of very professional way and you can always, one thing you can't say about city uh certainly the centralized project if you look at the re regeneration they've done on the area um around sort of the the, the stadium etc and if you look at it they, they've, I, in some ways have gone about it pretty professionally they've only recent that jack greedish deal was the first time they've splashed huge money sort of on a player relative to the other big giants they're not i, I think kaldun Barak is quite a sort of very respectable and standout figure within the football community similar to nasser khalifi at psg so I don't think, although these guys, when you look at this monster deals, etc., it is a bit shifty. I, I do think City have been sort of very professional in sort of their attitude and stuff like that. If you look at sort of Manchester United, some of the other problems we've seen with other ownerships, you can't really say that City haven't been, um, they're, they're not the biggest villains in the world of football, in my opinion. In terms of creating like um, a network for these companies to sort of fall in under, yeah, I'm sure there is a certain part of that. I'm sure there is sort of a great... Uh, networking platform but you know football is often sport is something that big companies want to be involved in city uh, city the big movers as you said um soriano took this concept to barcelona and he sort of said no at the time he wasn't interested in it other clubs do have affiliations as well like manchester united they've got um they've got sort of fc20 and royal antwerp that's their kind of feeder clubs which they use for player development Arsenal will have this sort of Ghanaian side, I think Asek Mimosa. So it's not a lot of a lot of clubs, certainly in the Premier League, do have these affiliations going on. Chelsea with Vitesse Arnhem over in, in Holland. So City aren't the only ones doing it. I think they're the ones that have really taken it from a business perspective and said, here, look, this is what we can bring together. And I don't I think, like I said, football is often something that these companies like to be involved in. It's good for their brands as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a criticism to have all these various um various companies under their banner joining together it's, it's yeah it's a good opportunity for them in many ways to be part of what is going to be a very successful industry and city have been very successful we i mean finances they actually do sell a lot more players than people realize and they've, they've they've saved up a lot from just being successful on the pitch and earning money through competitions that way so it's not it's not all completely shady in my opinion yeah, I've maybe been a bit harsh on City at times, making them seem like they are the proper villains of world football. They're not. There are a lot of worse people out there. But, um, you know, there are a lot, you know, they're just the sort of club, I think they've just taken it to the next level where it's, you know, yes, there are clubs that have affiliations like Vitesse Arnhem and Chelsea, but they're not rebranding to become almost Chelsea's little brother in Holland. It's just City have taken it to a whole nother level. And I don't think any of us are really prepared for it. Like you look at FIFA and UEFA, how they react to these financial fair play deals. Uh, they're not prepared for it. That, they, that's the they bottom line. They've been... blue, yeah. And I, I sort of feel like the way around it would just be just declare how much sponsorship money you're getting per annum. And they just seem to be like, well, they can change it whenever they feel like it because anyone can give them more money whenever at any point in the season. But obviously, you mentioned it as well with with some Premier League clubs having partnership. I'm, I'm an Everton fan. I've got you know I know we've got links to Slagger Rovers thanks to Seamus Coleman. Um, <laughs> so we're going to get some of Ireland's best products, and we've also got links yeah. to, <laughs> to clubs in Chile. Henry, you're a Fulham fan, aren't you? I, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. So uh, yeah. you, I, the last thing I want to ask is, you know, could you see the likes of Fulham all of a sudden having their own the Fulham Football Group uh, uh, <laughs> running across Europe? You know, could uh, any? I'd, I'd, yeah. 
Oh, I'd be amazed. I mean, obviously, we do have the Jacksonville Jaguars within American football, uh, which is uh, that's the thing. Like uh, FSG have multiple sporting interests. Liverpool owners, even the Glazers, have multiple sporting. Interests. So it's not like they don't. It's just they don't have a central holdings company specifically based around football, which is what Manchester City is. They do have sort of their interests uh, spread throughout these companies, like you said, probably ultimately to try and make money. Uh, that's the bottom line. I think it's it's. Football is going that way. I mean, but yeah, whether or not Fulham would look to expand, <laughs> I'd be, yeah. I think we need to worry. I think we need to worry about establishing ourselves as a Premier League force before we go try to disrupt anyone in any other nation. But yeah, it's uh, it's a whole different world. I mean, our owner, our owner's got a wrestling channel which he's running on the side. So yeah, <laughs> that, that's what we're well, the all elite wrestling. No, I, I was thinking it was a bit of a jest, but I was thinking more the lines of you know, you look at someone like Man United and Barcelona. Yes, they're already huge brands anyway, but when there's sort of clubs that have got massive amounts of debt, you can see them potentially going, well, could we take a venture out to help a club, you know, in an Asia, Asia, Australia, we can maybe improve our fan base there. The, the problem is, as you said earlier, for clubs like Barcelona, Man United, they're already massive clubs. So it's very hard to increase your presence when you're already well established and, and there. And the only way you can really do it is through sort of creating these new sponsorship deals. But the likes of kit deals, they're inflating every single time there's a new kit deal. It just seems to go up and up and up. So the money constantly keeps going up, but also when you look at the expenditure stuff, transfer fees keep going up and and, and all the money just doesn't stop seeming to go up in all areas. Yeah. You know what, Jeremy, I think we're about to reach the end of the Etihad uh, shirt deal with Manchester City. Um, the rumours that they have already extended it anyway, but I think now will be a really test to see how much is worth. If you consider like the airline industry has been absolutely shattered over the last sort of few years, they can't keep going at this rate of what, 67.5 million pounds a year. <laughs> Surely not in my head, that doesn't make sense. So I think now will be really telling to see what exactly Etihad, um, uh, that, that, value, that deal was valued at going forward. Because like you say, it'd be very interesting to see if they pluck another huge number out of the sky. Oh, okay. I could see something maybe along the lines of what they do in American sports, where it's maybe a massive amount of money over a longer term deal so it's kind of like spaced out better or smaller fee shorter term it'll be one of the two um i, I can't see it being 10 years 400 million again it just as you said um no matter who it is whether eddie had airways or british airways they've all been completely smashed with with coronavirus so i can't see them hand out that much money um as before but um i just to take time henry to say thanks again for coming along um, i know this is not the most world's most professional podcast that's out there but uh oh, that'd be ridiculous but um it's, uh... It's really, it's really important. It's really important. There are guys like you taking interest in these kind of things, looking at football beyond sort of the base stuff that you see on the pitch. And you know, you're unbelievably well prepared for this. You know far more than me. So I think keep, keep, keep going, keep going. On uh, the just to give you guys a show. And um, Henry is part of Football Daily, and they do produce a lot of great content um, weekly with Football Daily. And if you're a bit of a European football nut, which I sadly am, they also do the Euro Football Daily, which is a lot of great insight. Um, anything you'd like to give a shout out to Henry while you're here, in particular? Oh goodness! So if you like this, we just did a video recently on how PSG avoided uh, financial fair play, and I've been looking at some of the numbers behind Liverpool, looking at how sort of their revenue increases and stuff like that. Um, you know, big big sponsorship deals rolling into Liverpool <laughs> as well as anyone recently. So yeah, now go check out that stuff. Keep supporting our channels, and yeah, um, hopefully bring some new new subscribers along the journey. Yeah, but just coincidentally, we were recording this on transfer deadline day, so maybe mentioning more money in Liverpool is not a good idea because I think their fan base is pretty upset they haven't done much this window. But um, 
Um, because I've got a couple of my mates who've been complaining they haven't signed anyone. I'm like, well, well, yeah. they've 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 extended the contracts of almost every one of their major stars, which I think is yeah. And that when 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 they hand Mohamed Salah what he wants, it's going to shatter their wage structure. So people need to look at that and realize, like Liverpool's Liverpool's wage wages have grown, the annual wage have grown like bigger than anyone other than maybe City over the last five years. So. You, people, it's people always look at transfers as like the only way that money is going. But in football, it's it's all disappearing in so many different directions. Well, well, one final thought I say about City, which I didn't realise, is that City Football Group absorbs wages, which would normally be part of Manchester City as a business, if that makes sense, as a way of slightly distorting how much they're paying to maybe individuals and people for wages. It, it, that it gets absorbed as part of the City Holdings Group, which I found when I read that when I, in my preparation for this, I thought. Oh, Maybe Jerry is onto something. Maybe there is something very shady going on. But yeah. Anyway, uh, keep supporting. So basically, in 28 minutes, we summarised how somebody like Luton Town can come and become a global footballing empire just by doing some shady deals with Eddie Airways. But absolutely. <laughs> but uh, thanks again, Henry, for coming along and, and breaking this down to make it uh, a little bit more simpler for people to understand. No worries, no worries. Thank you, Jeremy. Cheers. Now, uh, once again, guys, episode three is going to be on the Red Bull Group. We've got a very special guest coming in for that, so hopefully you re uh, rejoin me to finish that one out. But thanks, guys. See you later.